Hello, my ladies, my gays, my theys, and the men who get it. This is Reagan, and welcome back to the F the Nice Guy podcast. Now, for today's episode, I have brought on a relative. It is someone you've heard before, but it's not Kate. <laughs> it is my sister, Peyton. Surprise! <laughs> It's a different member of the family. And I brought Peyton on specifically because there is a type of nice guy mm -hmm. that we have yet to cover. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about the quote unquote nice guy filmmaker slash creator. We're talking about the men who do fantasy style shows. And then somehow, some way, some way, we go down a horrible path of them abusing their lead stars on and off screen. Indeed. <laughs> Indubitably. But in this case, we are keeping it trauma light. We're not going to get in depth about like any crimes or anything like that. We're going to talk about it on a broader scale. Just trigger warning. We will mention, I, I'm going to maybe touch on fictional things that have happened to characters but right. we won't get into any real crime. So if you are like me and that's something that you are triggered by, don't worry, we got your back. So Peyton, if you don't mind, I wanted <laughs> to start off with a little quote that I thought was interesting. Oh, as I was doing my research on this, because as you know, as, and I would say you like fantasy more than me even. Yeah, yeah. I have been a big fan of that genre since we were kids. I grew up, loving um like the last unicorn and sort of the you know <laughs> the darkest child's film known to me <laughs> the slightly drug-fueled uh late 80s fantasy supposedly for kids films um and then you know you know discovering newer media as yeah. i got older that were made by some of the people we're gonna talk about um initially as with many nice guys i think it's great it's great oh, there's this wonderful new piece of media that, you know, speaks to me as a young woman who's, you know, experiencing, you know, life as an adult. What could possibly go wrong, given that it's written by a cis het white man <laughs> with, with serious issues? I know. Mommy issues out the wazoo. Probably. I mean, and like entitlement. And it's interesting because do you know who Mel Hamlet is? She's yes. a TikTok creator. So yes. love her. Love her content. Love her. Oh my God. I'm obsessed. But uh she's we're friends. I, I, we're uh <gasps> we're TikTok what? friends. Yeah, we're well, you know, we talk about the same shit. <laughs> we're I, mad about the same shit. We I stitch each other. So we're, you know, online friends. We're mutuals. How about that? Right. I, uh, I bounce between your channels or oh, that's whatever we, we call those. Whatever, whatever. Page, I don't know. Anywho's. So she talks about uh quentin tarantino is someone i, I was talk gonna about. bring him up i know he's a little bit out of the realm but there's just a few instances i want to talk about with him i don't want to get focused on him because he's i mean he's not like to me he's not like presenting as a nice guy he's pretty right. straightforward and a-hole um i don't think he would even deny that but but what she was talking about she was talking about his films and she was like do you know what you're watching? It's not that you're just consuming content. It's not that you're just watching a story in which bad things happen to women. You are being forced to watch a man's violent fantasies. Yes. To watch a movie. And that's the thing, right? Is it's like, 
we watch these things because we enjoy the characters. A lot of times there's quote unquote strong female characters in these. In fact, the ones we're talking about, there there's a lot of strong female characters. They're the archetypes of that yes. term. Right. And yet, in order to watch the content, you also have to watch them being abused, literally. In every way imaginable. Yeah. Just the price of admission is like, and it was for me personally, that was so eye opening to me because I'm like, oh, well, you know, they just like Quentin is like, he just likes violence, you know, and it's like, that's just a stick. And it's like, they are forcing you to live within their mind. They are giving you, like, they could do any story in the world. And this is the one they're choosing. Yes, this is one they're choosing and how they show it. Cause like, it's not the idea of of a woman being harmed in that way. Like if, a, you know, assault comes into the narrative somehow, there are storylines where that makes sense and is necessary. For example, Promising Young Woman, that is a huge part of that story. Right. It's true. It was. It is well done. It's not exploitative and it's purposeful and yes. done with care. You know, it feels like it's with care. It's done from a truly feminist female lens yes and not masquerading as that while it's actually just a misogynistic fantasy a hundred percent i agree wholeheartedly and what she pointed out was like they never do it that way like it is always so graphic and awful and like it's not that you can't do that. It's the ways in which they're choosing to do it. Like the way that they're showing it, like blatantly, right. like there, you can know what happened to someone without knowing one of the, um, I hope this isn't too trauma heavy. This is all not real. Um, there's a scene in Mad Men where, uh, what was her name? Her character. Joan. Name? Thank you. I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Yes, yes, exactly. Joan. And this was the only scene I've ever seen that had an assault in it that I was not triggered by and didn't have to turn off. And there's an assault scene from where she is essentially attacked by her partner. And the way that they show it is- It's not gratuitous. It's not gratuitous. And it's not even like, you don't see the, the two bodies are not shown, right? What they show is she's kind of dissociating looking, wasn't it a chair? So the scene, what happens is her husband, essays her because he's unhappy that he's seeing her getting male attention from the men at her work yes and he you know gets her down to the floor and mm -hmm. you in the shots you see her objecting to this very clearly and then as you see the character realizing this is going to happen you see how they're shooting it change where it's not showing the altercation it's showing her face it's showing her hand it's showing it's from her perspective. I think it's it not shows showing... a chair at one point. Does it? Don't they highlight she's looking, what she's yes. looking at? Her eyeline is there's a chair. There's a chair. Got it. As they talk about she's dissociating in that chair that they keep showing her looking at is what's tethering her to safety and reality and letting her right. disassociate from the assault. Right. But the way, again, the way they film it, it's from her perspective. Yes. It's not showing anything that, you know, a man would want to see. Right. It's astounding because, like, like you said, I've never seen it portrayed that way where it's showing her internal process. Right. Which many of us can relate to. And that's the thing is it's like, for me, it was the first time that I knew what was happening, but it wasn't triggering. It was upsetting, 
but it, you realize how unnecessary these scenes are and how graphic these scenes are. I don't want to get too far into this, but just, just the violence against women in film that serves no purpose, that is so right. unnecessary, that's often used as like a scare tactic, like, ooh, these men are putting forth content that is so violent. And like people are like, oh, it's just a film, but it's like when when men are so used to watching women being victims of violence at the hands of men, when they're watching it and having no reaction at all, that's scary to me. And absolutely, I don't want to get too much into that, but it kind no, but of it, but it is it is a startling realization to have seen this type of event act yes. whatever you want to call it portrayed in media yes. one way that we're used to and desensitized to and then to see it handled in a different way that isn't gratuitous that isn't showing exploitative yeah yeah that isn't exploitive that really makes you pause an interesting thing for me is like the men that we're going to talk about had not only were doing this content but had a reason often mm -hmm. why they were doing it that related to their own feelings their own um desires their own desires their own personal frustrations they put their actresses through hell and they admit that they did it because of their own frustrations and their own desires and additionally something that i found to be very interesting that i'm going to bring up a quote about is how often these men make it seem as though a woman is only strong when she loses all hints of femininity, when she's just a badass, almost hyper-masculine woman, and that she gets to that badass status through violence. Right. And there's also this like trope that comes up over and over again is, you know, she's so strong. Look at how much we can put her through. Mm -hmm. And she just gets up and keeps going like it's nothing. And, and to you, that point, exactly. I love that you said that. Jessica Chastain, goddess. We love her. Incarnate. I, incar just effortless, flawless. Everything, <laughs> just gorgeous, had a quote. And she was talking about Quentin Tarantino as I was doing some research on this. And her quote is this. When violence against women is used as a plot device to make the character stronger, then we have a problem. It is not empowering to be beaten and essayed, yet so many films make it their phoenix moment for women. We don't need abuse in order to be powerful. We already are. Absolutely. You can believe me. Damn. Right. Okay. She has a second quote. I keep imagining Tarantino spitting in Uma's face and strangling her with a chain for Kill Bill. How many images of women in media do we celebrate that showcase abuse? When did this become normalized entertainment? And I was like, what? W excuse me? So I did my research. You seem, your face tells me you already know, but. It's all bad. It's. I knew one case of this, which I'll talk about too. But listeners. I don't know if you know this. Trigger warning, I guess, for abusive All women. Of the I guess. Oh my god. This is what I'm talking. What I'm talking about is is abuse of power and abuse of women in the workplace. This, in the workplace, literally in the workplace. This is their job, right? Framed as 
uh, art. This, framed as art and framed as like it needs to be real, like a forced method. So it's not enough that men are method acting and ruining people's lives and just ruining the experience of fellow actors and terrorizing people and the crew. It's not enough. Now they have to method act their abuse of us. Okay. For anyone who didn't know this, there's a scene in Kill Bill where she's getting strangled with a chain and she gets spit on. And they actually did that to Uma Thurman. That is not stunt work. That is not fake. And I'm not even like, it's not even fake choking. They literally took a chain and choked her. And the person choking her was, you may think, a stunt coordinator or somebody who's professional somebody no it was quentin quentin tarantino choked her and spit in her face for multiple takes the spit was real and the choking was real and he did it multiple times and if you don't think that's bad enough so for that he said he did it well he he said he did it for a lot of reasons part of it was because first of all he said it was like uma some of it was uma's idea which i'm like oh okay and he said he needed the realistic look in her eyes which is the same reason he gave for choking Diane Kruger in Inglorious Bastards, where he literally choked her for, what, a minute? It was a long take. And those hands are Quentin Tarantino's. He himself, he's not just writing it. He's not just directing it. He's not just putting it in his films. He's literally doing the abuse himself and not to the stunt doubles, to the actresses, but he choked both of them to the point that their eyes were bulging, they were red in the face, their eyes were watering. Like, he genuinely choked these women. That's twice that we know of. Yep, it's all bad. How insane is that? Absolutely insane. And then if you look further, there's other uh, obscene self-insert shenanigans from other films specifically the one that comes to mind is uh from dust till dawn he wrote himself into it as one of the more minor characters and wouldn't you know that he ends up getting to like feel up selma hayek as she's dressed as a stripper and she rubs her feet all over his face he and takes a does he, she pours he a, a drink down her leg her foot and yeah. he is an admitted uh he has an admitted foot fetish so he particularly enjoyed that scene. He wrote it in for himself. Yes. And we're all just like, okay, cool. Yeah. No problem. No problem, Quentin. Talk about the just like fantasies. And when the woman you are lusting after, because he actually dated Uma at one point. He definitely was lusting after uh, Selma Hayek. <laughs> I think he was lusting after like Christina Aguilera. I don't even know anymore. These are the men that we're discussing admittedly lust after many of the women that they then are violent with, incredibly violent towards. And in the case of what you're going to talk about, are, are end up sometimes write it in because of that. Like yes. write it in because they yeah, can't so it's stand the, uh, the uh, whatever that they're getting attention, that they're their fame is rising like they see this beautiful talented woman and they literally crush them they have clearly have some type of fantasies that end up 
turning into violence towards these real life actresses in their work. And in this case, real violence. <laughs> Let's hop, skip, and jump. Another example of this, because I actually got these quotes because I was researching a different thing, which was Game of Thrones. Now, we're, we'll do a whole episode of this, Peyton. I'll bring you back for a Patreon episode because, <laughs> like, Fabulous. that's, that's going to get in the weeds. <laughs> that's the weeds for sure. Well, um, there's no way to keep that discussion trauma light. Like, yeah. there just isn't anybody who's watched the show or read the books. Right. Knows. Like, it's just not. It would be doing a disservice to what we're talking about to not. Yeah, it'll still speak be, it'll, fully. It'll be, but it won't. It won't be horrible. But it'll be more than this podcast. Yeah, we go a little. We go get a little crazier on the on the Patreon. But I find it interesting that you talked about the books because the thing that killed me, Peyton, is mm-hmm. that I found out some of the worst things that happen on Game of Thrones is not in the books is surprise surprise everybody's like oh well they you know well it's in the books it's got i don't know whose voice that's supposed to be (laughs) (laughs) but like you know they're like oh well it's in the books like sorry 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 and a lot of it is in the books but a lot of it is not in the books like exactly what you're talking about there's well there's so many things first of all um, I'll just throw a couple out there. Uh, the Ramsey mm-hmm. doesn't marry Sansa in the book. Nope. She is safe in a tower away from all the nonsense. She is an unbothered queen. <laughs> As she is now hashtag no Joe Jonas. No. Um, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag <laughs> what did I, I said <laughs> on my, one of my videos on TikTok, I was like, hashtag winter is coming swiftly. Yes, hashtag winter's coming swiftly. Um, and it is. Anywho, but it's like a handmaiden or something. It is a very like tertiary character. It is a character that's only named once or twice. It's a childhood friend of Sansa's. It is not her. So not only is that whole marriage not in the book, that whole, I, I didn't see it because I, as I have mentioned, I cannot watch it, but that whole essay that happens, not in the book. Um, Cersei's after the, after their Joffrey, oh, I, spoilers for, for Game of Thrones, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. If you haven't watched it by now, um, you probably won't. Cersei's and her brother, can you even trigger warning for a Game of Thrones? It triggers for inc- it's got incest in it, so there you go. But the sister and the brother, there's the scene after Joffrey dies that they yep. have that is SA in the show, but in the book, it's not. She like I think she's like objects for a second and then they both try it's like position is comforting each other. Clearly in the narrative of the book, she does consent. Yes. While clearly in the show, she does not. And guess what, friends? When the writers and the creators, the two dum-dums that are creating the show, which y'all know as soon as they got the reins, they tanked it with season eight. So clearly we're not up to the task of creating. Um, That's just a personal vendetta. Uh, But those two when they couldn't essay people literally when they stopped being able to essay characters they straight up 
waterboarded an actress. And I don't mean they waterboarded in a scene. I mean they waterboarded her. For uh, about 10 hours. 10 hours. And the scene was under five minutes. Yep. And it, what's that woman's name? Hannah Waddingham. She's Ted Lasso. Yes. She's also wonderful and amazing and Ugh. deserves all the good things. I adore her. And the other thing that makes me insane about that is she didn't know about the change till she got to set. No. Yep. What'd she think it was? What it was originally supposed to be. It was a, an essay situation. Oh my And God. then I, I'll correct myself. I don't know if it was exactly she found out when she got to set, but she found out when she flew in. And was not prepared for that. To, nobody asked her if that was okay with her. And they waterboarded. They literally poured water. Didn't they put a cloth on her face and waterboard her? Yeah. For 10 hours, a, people. Legit. Uh, yeah, give or take a whole filming day. And they used a couple minutes of it. Mm-hmm. And they said, they went on record saying that they did it because they couldn't essay people. That's not a joke. They were very open about that. And again, like, this was not fake. They literally just waterboarded her. And she had to go to therapy, and she was super messed up over it. Hannah, discussing it, she's quoted as saying, I think they'd had so many complaints about the essay of Sansa that they chose not to go with it. She said, unbelievably, they changed it quite at the last minute. I think they possibly changed it when I was midair flying to Belfast, where they film, because suddenly I got these new sides that said I would need a wetsuit top. I thought they'd sent me the wrong bits. And then she goes on to say, she arrived on set, she was indeed outfitted with a wetsuit. They were like, oh, it's going to be waterboarding instead, she recalled. And I said, like, but we're not actually doing waterboarding. And they were like, no, 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 we are. Oh, my God, Peyton. I'm going to freak out. I'm going to freak out. She's quoted as saying, aside from childbirth, filming her waterboarding scene was the worst day of her life. And they go on to say that the actress who plays Cersei, who was doing the waterboarding, Hannah's quoted as saying, Lena was uncomfortable pouring liquid in my face for that long, and I was beside myself. But in those moments, you go, do you serve the piece and get on with it, or do you chicken out and say, this isn't what I signed up for? Right, which is exactly how they get you, because you you think, I don't want to make waves, I don't want to cause a problem, and force it. Like The fact that they're not using stunt doubles for this stuff is insane. Like, they're literally just like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna assault women. The other thing that uh, just occurred to me, they can spend you know, millions of dollars making CGI dragons, but they have to actually waterboard somebody. Peyton, thank you for your service in that comment. They spent millions of dollars making dragons. But they couldn't CGI water. Technically, it was wine, but your point still stands. Oh, my God. You don't have to choke. Like, you don't really stab people. You don't really do no. a lot of things. There's no reason. Nope. We have to get it real. It's like, why? Then why did you hire actors? Exactly. Why? If, if it's supposed to be real, then are we not just making a snuff film like what what are we doing here yeah that's very interesting is it has to be real in the land of dragons in the land of green screen oh and that and that is a whole nother like rabbit hole we can go down if we're talking about just like fantasy and sci-fi you know oh we we can have dragons and we can have magic and we also must have violence against women 
We we can suspend the disbelief for dragons, but we can't believe that women won't be assaulted and used violently. And also we like nary nary an underarm hair to be found. Exactly. <laughs> like, these women are waxed. <laughs> like uh mm, so mm. the queen and of then, dragons is perfectly hairless i don't think so i don't think I, so it, it hurts my brain because and i've seen this discourse about this specific issue for years and i would love to credit the first person that pointed out i have no idea who it is but you know you bring up the idea of like, oh, well, if it's supposed to be historically accurate, you know, where's the underarm hair? Where's the rotten teeth? Right. And then inevitably the response is, well, no one wants to see that. Oh, so the quiet part has been said out loud. Then you want to see, you no one wants to see that, but they want to see graphic violence. Hmm. Ding, ding. Oh, so it's your, it's, it's your fantasy is violence against women. Hmm. Okay. Well, and, and again, with, you know, other an, another uh, creator, for lack of a better word, that we're going to talk about. It's so much about enacting this violence and shame on women that you wish you had control over or wish you yes. could treat this way, but you can't in your real life, so you settle for this. Or it's some sort of weird revenge fantasy over who these characters represent, the people that spurned you in real life, and so now I'm going to get them back. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like, these men are writing it like as a writer like you put things like your own emotions are going into it so like they have a personal interest in these characters and the other thing is like there's so much power when people are writing and directing and like Mm -hmm. doing wearing so many hats that you almost to go it's so hard to go against like hannah saying like well i didn't want to go against it. like what type of environment were you in like people are like i don't want to have intimacy coordinators it's like i'm sorry you're waterboarding people like you're worried about intimacy coordinators like give me a break and oh on that point do you know Peyton? i don't know i'm gonna say do you know to the audience because literally you know every fact ever so (laughs) like any film tv fact i feel like I don't know why it, it was my original hyperfixation, you know it, truly but i mean both i think we're so funny because we're both are just like we really love movie facts and not like oh we have raging adhd and add like <laughs> what like, do you No, like the fact that i still to this day know that the uh large ball gown that giselle wears in enchanted weighed 45 pounds and that a stunt woman had to teach amy adams how to run in it that's not add that that fact's been in my brain for over 20 years do i need that no but it's there this woman just for reference everyone defeated an entire dorm of people her versus them in disney trivia i also defeated an entire cruise ship single-handedly jesus christ but anyway but anyway on to your point on to my po- i've lost the point at this point i'm lost in the weeds where are we um Talking oh, about, oh. Um, with the scene. So the scenes with Daenerys. Yeah, Danny. It, yes, Danny. Jason Momoa had to fight with them to get her a robe. They kept leaving her naked. Yeah, like, or whatever she was covered. The bear. I don't know what was covered. She, I, mo- nothing. I mean, she. That's what it seemed like. The quotes I've read. 
yeah, he had, he was the one that was, and she said it in multiple interviews that he was her protector and advocating for her. Cause this was her first big job ever. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you don't know. And people bank on that. Well, and they literally told her when she was, I, I think at some point she started objecting to the sex scenes and then like how yeah, much she, of herself she was showing in the sex she scenes. She was refusing to do gratuitous nudity. And there, there's a, a quote, which might be the one that you're about to refer to, where they were framing a shot where they wanted to just show her a little nip in the corner. And she said, no, move it up. No. Well, Ew, uh, that was not what I was referring to. That's horrifying. But there was a point where when she was initially objecting, I guess eventually she was flat out objecting. Um, they said, don't you want to give the fans what they want? They tried yep. to, to force her to do it via pressure, peer pressure, <laughs> a fandom pressure. She was so young. Oh, so disgusting. Which, which that, using, uh, granted, uh, I'm a different person now than I would have been when I was her age when that happened. But now if someone said that to me, that would make me immediately just put on a suit of armor and refuse to ever show an inch of clothes. Like, show them what they want. Yeah. Ew, dude. (gasps) It's what you want. What you want. I don't see any fans here. I see you. Like, don't use the fans. And that's like, I have been on set and I have been, I I talk about a story before where a guy got me in a weird Nothing, nothing happened like that, but it was like this tricky situation where I didn't know where my power was. And like, I had signed a contract to be there. And essentially he was just creepy with me. Nothing, there was no nudity, but. Yeah, that's, um, that's one of your stories that fills me with blind, unadulterated rage. Same, same. <sighs> yeah, it's hard, it's hard to hearing. Yeah, it, I, yeah. <laughs> you told me, but I yeah, like, exactly. You don't know where you're allowed to say no because this is your boss this is your job that's the thing is i don't think people understand like this is a workplace like these people there are there's jobs there's unions like you are in a place of business you are working so we have people being assaulted sexualized degraded at their job and like i think people lose sight of that because of the world that's created around it but it's like Mm -hmm. People get away with so much shit. And speaking of people getting away with egregious shit on set, <laughs> let's talk about the main nice guy of oh, the main the event, evening, the, which the asshole to rule them all. Yes, the one who was on record in interviews, adamantly projecting this image of himself as a feminist and someone who cares about female voices and strong female characters. And I hate to break it to anyone listening who may be brokenhearted or didn't know this about this person, but Peyton, who will we be talking about today? The one and only Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. King, baby, man. (laughs) Incel. Jackass of the year century oh yeah no it's like you said when you started doing research on what you were looking into for this episode i knew i knew some it's just it's all bad it Mm -hmm. it's it gets so much worse and so 
Joss Whedon of the Whedonverse, as it was once called. Um, so as I would assume many people know, maybe you don't, um, Joss Whedon was a prolific sci-fi fantasy writer, creator, director. He was, um, you know, just the biggest thing in the late 90s to early 2000s. The first big mainstream hit that most people would know Joss Whedon from is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was a TV show that was on the now defunct WB series, or, um, <laughs> on the now defunct WB channel. Um, it was I lived and of- breathed by that. Wasn't Charmed on WB? Oh, yeah. All my fighting women. It's what became... Magical fighting women. (laughs) Yeah. It's what now is known as the CW. Oh, yes. But anyway, as a new uh, station or channel, whatever you want to call it, um, this was one of their huge hits that they, you know, built their whole sort of empire of sexy teenagers fighting things (laughs) along with Dawson's Creek and... Is that a genre? it's such it's like supernatural it's still a thing like supernatural vampire diaries it it lives on but anyway so this was the first big mainstream hit he'd been doing a lot of writing kind of behind the scenes and before the tv show there was a buffy the vampire slayer uh, movie terrible yeah it did not do well um but it does have a very young ben affleck in it as a basketball player which (laughs) Is a fun fact that I know. Moving on. Thank you, ADD. <laughs> You're welcome. Sponsored by ADD. This podcast is sponsored by ADD. It's neurospicy. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Go ahead. Anyway, and so when this show came out, um, it was really a big deal because it, and as Joss more often than he needed to mention in interviews. Um, it was about this idea of taking the, you know, pretty blonde cheerleader who's been the victim of every horror movie ever, you know, not the final girl, but the girl who like gets bef- earlier in the movie because mm-hmm. she's the cheerleader. She's a little bit too sexy. Um, and instead of her being a victim, she's the hero. Um, which at the time was very revolutionary and meant a lot to a lot of people and still does. Um, But he, you know, in various interviews would be asked, you know, why do you write these strong female characters? And his response would always be because you keep asking me that question. Profound. Indeed. Um, But yeah, so he has great success with that show and, um, off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there is a spinoff show called Angel, which does well also. Loved um, that show. Which, as did I. I I was late to the party with uh, Buffy and Angel. I didn't watch them until I was in college. Um, but I binge watched the first three seasons in like a weekend and didn't sleep because, you know, hyperfixation station. Up <laughs> <laughs> aboard. <laughs> Um, and then he also created the beloved and canceled too soon Firefly. Um, oh, R.I.P. Which we'll come back to. Uh, oh, God. Because it might be a blessing in disguise that it was canceled. Oh, God. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's bad. Um, and anyway, from there, he sort of was catapulted into being this, you know, uh, guru of, you know, sci-fi fantasy. You know, he could do no wrong. Um, he would hold 
court at like the cons and stuff. And then he got a, you know, an even bigger break where he was the um, director of the first Avengers movie. And then the second Avengers movie. And so he's having this, you know, thoroughly fantastic career. And I remember, you know, really loving him as a writer and director and just, he had this way about him and his writing that was like snarky and quippy. And he, you know, allowed the characters to be funny and irreverent in a way that was, you know, new and fresh and, you know, even coined the term weed and speak, you know, oh where he's got his different little isms and yeah. there are, you know, countless actors and actresses um, that, you know, their first big breaks were in those shows and have gone on to prolific careers, which is amazing. Sarah Michelle Geller is the star of Buffy, you know, and Nathan many Fillion others did well uh, in Firefly. Alan Tudyk. Um, <gasps> I love Alan. I know. He's great. Um, Hopefully. Anyway, and <laughs> I don't know I anymore. Know, I don't I know, know anymore. As far as I know, he's still good. Please, Alan. Keep it, keep it together. Keep, keep, it, keep it tight. <laughs> Y'all are dropping like flies. It hurts out here. We're going to lose so many Disney characters if he falls. It's true. Uh, so many chickens. So Joss Whedon has made the first two Avengers movies, which were groundbreaking in the terms of it changed the way that we uh, consume movies and media. It started the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like it's, it's a big deal. Like It's a huge deal. Um, and then after that, you know, things started to get a little more interesting. People were starting to have a slightly more critical eye to some of his choices, but it was still more of a like, um, you know, oh, I might just be looking at that the wrong way. Like there was a lot of uh, criticism over um, a few things in the first Avengers movie, but really in Avengers Age of Ultron um, that had to do with how... Uh, Black Widow I knew it. is portrayed. Um, but again, those were things that were sort of just in the conversation of, oh, that, that might not be my favorite choice, but right. um, it didn't seem any nefarious. It seemed um, to be more of a oversight coming from the perspective of a man. Just a miss. Just, yeah, like, a, just like a male gaze miss. Yeah. Nothing nefarious, just sort of an oversight. Like, mm, you might have wanted to have some female writers in the room to, you know, Give right. a different perspective. Uh, the example that comes to mind in from the original Avengers film is sort of the portrayal of Natasha as a whole, where she's, you know, the only woman in the group, and she's in a skin-tight catsuit that's got a deep V. Hypersexualized. Yeah, hypersexualized. Um, and uh, the thing that kept coming up when I was doing my research on it was he managed to sneak in a very foul insult to her in one of the scenes. It's the scene where she is interrogating Loki mm -hmm. and um, Loki calls her a mewling quim, which is a whiny C word. <gasps> oh, I didn't. Yeah. It, it is that like in a, like a British thing or what that word? Um, yes, I believe I need to double check the history on it, but that's what it means. Another one that people really called out was in the second Avengers. I was just getting to that. Carry oh. on. Oh, is when 
This one had me shook. I, as someone who really loves superhero movies, unfortunately, really into them, really into those, <laughs> really into That's, comic books. Really, it, it is both of our jams. Yes, truly. Uh, one, the line where the Hulk is like, I'm always angry, still haunts me to this day. Because I'm like, really? Because no, you're not. Because if you were, you would be the Hulk. Because that is literally the only rule of the Hulk, is when he gets angry, he turns into the Hulk. <laughs> That's the whole deal. That is a hill you are have been dying on since Avengers came out. And I, I, I will I'm so sorry for you. I will to die on that hill. I support you. Thank you. <laughs> we love an emotionally controlled man, but that ain't it that that no Mm -mm, sorry i'm always angry that's not it okay Uh, but even more disgustingly is another line with the hulk or actually bruce banner they are like all of a sudden they like shoehorned in this love like a a, a, which i can i have i have receipts on that as well i'll let you fill in the deets but the scene that i remember seeing and being like oh ah nope he's like i can't have kids because can you imagine Essentially, like if he were to turn into the Hulk mid fun time, RIP that girl. But, um, but that was what he was talking about. And he's saying it in a very a serious tone, which is just ridiculous conversation. And she comes in and she's like, essentially, well, I had to have a hysterectomy forcibly to become a Black Widow or whatever, to become a part of yeah. in her spy whatever assassin, in the red room in the red room and i i can't have children either so we're both monsters and i was like oh i'm sorry did you just say women who can't have kids is equal to the literal hulk in monstrosity mm, a man wrote that uh, uh yes he did that. yeah he did and and again, the discourse when that when people were starting to think a little more critically about that scene, you know, soon after the movie came out was, you know, people had the same perspective that you did. And then other people were saying, well, no, he just mean, you know, it just means that, you know, she feels that way because she's been an assassin this whole time. So she can only kill people. She can't bring life. You know, it's not that bad, which it is that bad. But again, in the context of he was this, you know, feminist dude yeah who was promoting strong women and you know this was such a vulnerable scene for that character you know it you know it's a good thing even if you don't agree with it that could be her perspective are you saying a woman would be wrong for feeling that way if that's her lived experience she's a victim of society who makes her feel like a monster it's not just saying she's a monster it's society precisely um so there was that discourse which you know yay for that we're, we're catching on. We're starting to realize. Right. And, you know, there were other things as people were thinking more critically about his other media. And again, as with any media, things don't always age well. Like that's a real yeah. phenomenon. Things that were acceptable even five years ago might not be acceptable now. Sure. But anyway, we're still, he's still riding high. Life is good. In 2017, I didn't know about this at all until I was doing this deep dive now. Did you know that Joss Whedon wrote a uh, script for a Wonder Woman film that was never produced in 2006? I don't know if I... I feel like I might have heard that, but I don't know the specifics. Well, in 2017, it was leaked for all of the internet. And it's bad. It's so bad. And this is after the actual Wonder Woman film has come out and we've seen, you know, 
Patty Jenkins, beautiful, you know, creating a beautiful yonic utopia. And <laughs> it's just, it's, I really enjoy that film. Same. Anyway, so his, his script gets leaks and it is awful. Like every description of Diana is sexualized talking about how curvaceous she is and how sexy she is and every male character i mean i'll give him that he made them the bad guys you know calls her a slut and a uh a whore and it's just all bad so that gets leaked but again everyone sort of just sort of like you know oh well you know it was a different time you know less 11 years ago right later that same year his wife um, who has divorced him uh, mm, writes a uh, guest blog for the rap titled Joss Sweden is a hypocrite preaching feminist ideals. And she lays it all out about all of his affairs and all of the terrible things he was doing while he was reigning over his little kingdom over, over Buffy and angel. Cole says that her ex-husband wrote to her saying, and I quote, when I was running Buffy, I was surrounded by beautiful, needy, aggressive young women. It felt like I had a disease, like something from a Greek myth. Suddenly, I am a powerful producer and the world is laid out at my feet and I can't touch it. And he goes on to say later that in an interview where it was his mea culpa to try and get us all back on his side, that he he had to sleep with all of these women or he would never would have forgiven himself. What is that? Never would have forgiven for missing the opportunity? Yep. If I've said it once, I will say it again. Just as if, if you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a nice guy an opportunity, he will do something f***ed up. And here's, oh, that'll be believed. But here's the deal. It's like, I think there's this misinterpretation of this nice guy is being nice because he is nice. Instead of this nice guy is being nice because he has to be nice because that's the only way he can survive in society and the only way he can validate his own ego and the only way he can get the attention he wants from women. But give him any room to be an asshole. Give him any room to abuse power. Give, give him any power so that he can abuse it. And you see these men becoming unhinged. And in my mind... It is toxic men with deep internalized misogyny who have probably felt like they were unseen or unappreciated by beautiful women who they deserved that whole time, even as they were groveling at their feet and worshiping them. They knew they deserved them. And then they get a little bit of power and guess who they're going to take that angst out on now that they're like, now that I'm in charge. Wouldn't you know the women? <laughs> you know, sh shocker. The answer is the women. Oh my God, Peyton, uh, we, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we're going to have to stop it right here. No, but there's so much more. I know, exactly my point, exactly oh. my point. You're right, you're right. I write, I write. So we will bring you the conclusion of this story and our final thoughts next week. So make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode. Peyton, this has been incredible, factual, amazing. <laughs> all the things uh, thank you I, I appreciate that we are able to put your adhd fixation to good use as am i man i've been waiting for this girl i feel like you and i could go for days and we have 
Uh, but thank you again for being here. I also want to thank some of our patrons. So I want to thank Rosanna, Kayla, Jack, Courtney, and Christina. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon. And if you want to join our Patreon, make sure you are clicking the link in the notes of this episode. Our Patreon just has some extra things. Sometimes it's bits from the podcast that didn't quite make it in. And sometimes it's Patreon exclusive episodes. So that's extra fun. These are full episodes that are for patrons only. We've got a couple good ones on there. If you want to see this extra stuff, make sure you become a patron. But thank you again to Peyton for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I, I'm always happy to join you. And you shall join me again, and hopefully our listeners will too, because we have the next part of this episode will be next week. So make sure to tune in then. And as always, my friends, F the nice guy.